back to Garbage Film, the show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common, you don't need to enjoy just one or the other, so we will take our movie of the week and pair it with something artier or trashier in the hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite, or at the very least, we get some entertainment to you. With me, as always, uh, I should say first, I'm Nick, I'm one of your hosts. That's a, you know, I'm sitting at the table. And I'll say that with me, as always, is the friendly German shepherd to my cold fish on a desk. Aaron is here. Hi, Aaron. Hello. Hi. Bark, bark. <laughs> uh, flop, die. <laughs> Cover a lighter. Gasp. Function as plot device. Die. <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, it's dark at 4 p.m. And <sighs> I want to sleep by 8 p.m. It's November's here. Yep. It's <laughs> happening. Which is a lovely frame of mind to be in for really any of the Coen Brothers movies. Yes, very much. And... Because it's November, it's actually November, and for this week, we are talking about... Just so you know. Yeah, just so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a harsh reset for me. It's not for anybody else, <laughs> it's for me. Uh, we are talking about that Coen Brothers debut feature, Blood Simple, from 1984. Hello. Having a good time? Hey, was it? Your husband. I got a job for you. It's not strictly legal. You want me to kill him? Ray, let's get out of here. <laughs> What's funny is if it's not you she's sleeping with, it's someone else. What's really going to be funny is when she gives you that look and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not afraid of you, Marty. If I see him, I'll sure give him a mess. A dope movie. Yes. We're here to get violent and stupid. It's blood simple. <laughs> As if we were not already violent and stupid. <laughs> here we come. Yeehaw. This is a debut. That's this is a bananas. Debut. I got yeah. So let's uh I'll lay out our really short synopsis here for those that don't know. It's a neo-noir. Fits into November. Ish, yeah. Uh, ooh, you say ish. I think it's one of the most straight-up neo-noir I mean, things you can possibly have. Yeah, okay. So often neo-noir is like, it's a crime movie, and it's sad, and that's kind of it. Uh, and this, Fair. I All feel right. like, does a lot of stuff with tropes and things. Yeah? Yeah. It's a little... It's just a little... It's, it's heavy on the neo, but yeah. definitely the noir, the noir is there. <laughs> All right, I agree now. You changed my mind. Yes, and we're like not even 10 minutes into this. I've done it. <laughs> Five-minute podcast. <laughs> uh, so what happens in this movie? This movie follows Texas bar owner Julian Marty, who hires a shady private detective, who I don't think we ever hear his name in the movie. Do you know what it is before I say it? No, but it's again. It's Lauren Visser. Okay. Yeah. No, neither of those names seem real to me, so I, I don't think I did. The yeah. only re- Lauren is on his lighter. That's right, the only right, right, right. Light, But like Visser is such a, just makes me think of Visser 3 from Animorphs. But that's, Oh my god! <laughs> I just rocketed back in time to the public library. And you turned into a fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all coming together. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a cover out there, yes. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, a child turning into M.M. Walsh. <laughs> The most horrifying cover. Oh, that middle stage. The illustrator stage. killed themselves after they after they completed the work. Uh, the middle stage. Emmett Emmett Walsh in this movie looks like the middle stage of like someone anamorphing into a distasteful creature of some type. Uh, anyway, he gets hired uh, by Julian Marty to acquire evidence that his wife Abby and one of his bartenders Ray are having an affair. As Ray and Abby realize that Marty has found them out, they uh, just are really bold-faced about being like, hey, we're having an affair. I quit. I guess, yeah, I quit and I'm leaving you, I think are the implications, yeah. certainly, right? Also, you owe me two weeks back pay. Bold. So bold. Mm-hmm. Marty is getting cucked very hard yeah. <laughs> by the incinerator. Yeah, your wife's leaving with me and you owe me two weeks of pay. Which, oh, I mean, he does. He does, he does yeah. But Cucked by the Incinerator is my debut album coming out. <laughs> <laughs> it will be freeform jazz and it will be terrible. Yes, it will. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so they're just as upfront as, like, it's psychotic how upfront they are about it to me. But I also avoid conflict at every turn, so. It almost feels like they are daring him to do something about mm. it. Yeah. 
And uh, he does. He hires Visser back to kill them, which is a big escalation, mm-hmm. and uh, dispose of their bodies so that they won't be found. And in classic Coen Brothers style, a chaotic chain of misunderstandings, lies, and mischief ensue. Yeah. Yep. That is... Correct. (laughs) (laughs) And I, just for posterity, I want to say the, like, the definition of blood simple, because I uh, only, like, found this out, like, maybe three weeks ago, so, you know several years after I saw this movie. He's like, that's a neat title. <laughs> what does it mean? I'm immediately forgetting. Okay. You told me it. So this is Blood Simple is the added fearful mindset of people after prolonged immersion in violent situations. So when you act real dumb after you see blood, <laughs> you get Blood Simple. <laughs> it just means like it's a folksy way of saying shell shock, kind of. But like a really immediate, I feel like. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yes. Shell shock implies a long tail. No, you're right. You know? You're yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, the phrase first appeared in Dashiell Hammett's novel Red Harvest. Oh so my god. <laughs> coming from that sweet noir uh, backbone. Yeah, it's got uh, the pedigree. But Red Harvest is the noir that's one of the primary influences on Kurosawa's Yojimbo and Ryan Johnson's Brick. So it's just like... And so many other So movies. many things, yeah. Yeah, so yeah it's, it's crazy. Blood simple. So and I feel like knowing that title helps to clear up any confusion a viewer of this might have to like... What the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it really it does describe every single person in the movie at yep. some point or another. At some point or like maybe Visser the least, but like I I feel like maybe Marty the least. Oh, he I guess he's out of the way before most yeah. of the violence happens. <laughs> he doesn't get a real long shot at being stupid, but No. So of course, I think this is like I can't remember how they they usually work, but directed by Joel Cohen. I feel like usually he's the director and they co-write them together, right? That's how it goes? I can't say. I've heard varying Mm. descriptions. But but written by them, you got John Getz in there as Ray with his big face. Yeah, I was going to say, just a large forehead and face area. Yeah, that, he's got... He's just a big brick of a guy. He's got, like... Bill Paxton at his dumbest face, I feel like to me. Yes, yeah. Bill Paxton with several head injuries. <laughs> yeah. Which plays out in the like 15 minute silent sequence as he's just committing crime after crime. <laughs> oh my god, he's the blood simplest of them all. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll get into it, I'm sure, but I love that his first reaction to a crime scene is to take off his own jacket and dip it in the blood. Just. <laughs> Make sure to really get that in there. Soak yeah. it up. Well, let's let's talk about it now. I'll, there's It like precedes like a regular crime movie <laughs> until um, Visser pretends to kill Abby and Ray. This is the first place it goes off the rails, I would say. He gets stupid, but like greedy stupid. Yeah, because he tries to like shoot Marty to rip him off. And yeah. then Ray thinks that when he kicks the gun later... He has shot and killed Marty. Right. And so he th- he's trying to clean up what he thinks is his crime. And boy, it's silly. Oh, see, the what I thought he thought, Ray, when he goes There'll in. There'll be a lot of this on yeah. this. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. Yeah. I thought he immediately was like, oh, that's her gun. She oh, killed him. Duh. Of course. That's what. Yeah. So he's doing this to try and protect her. Yes. Yes. I can cut this out if you want. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> All right. I feel like I've got smart things to say sometimes, and i got to balance it out. That's the mission of the podcast, if nothing else. It's not blood simple, but it is some kind of simple. Fair I'm enough. just regular simple. <laughs> when you put blood in front of me, I get very smart. That's the difference. Oh. <laughs> That's a very upsetting thing to say. All right. I am very clumsy, so I've got to... <laughs> you gotta get that in some. Uh, yeah, so sh- this, like, the opposite of a montage, where instead of everything going by fast, everything goes by so slow as yes. he's, okay, the jacket, and then he's dripping blood all over the floor as he's, like, he's spreading the blood out everywhere. Oh, yeah, and... he's making it 1,000 times worse. He, but I think he immediately, like, he sees the thing in front of him and is like, I'll fix that. And then that creates a problem and he sees that problem and is like, I'll fix that problem. And he can never think more than one step ahead. Just what is the immediate problem? Yeah. And that's it. And of course this goes on. I'm sure this is what it feels like in his head. It's just going on forever. He can hear 
like fragments of weird music and it just keeps repeating and echoing <laughs> and like i really i do really love the music uh the soundtrack in this oh that's um, funny it really hasn't stuck with no there's that piano bit that, yeah that i feel like comes back a few times yeah. that's about all but like the out. use of music it's uh, not that there's like a theme or anything necessarily that yeah. uh, develops it's just a it's just a cool it's really more soundscape stuff than it is you know yeah functional. i'd say so really that really like grounding you into reality yeah uh, or unreality is <laughs> yeah well this is a good question actually i i think about this movie feels very different from all the other coens to me mm. and it feels like the most grounded and serious of their movies to me i haven't seen everything but i mean mo- of most everything i've seen like you could argue that, like, Fargo gets very serious at some points, but, like, it's to, like, do a harsh left turn in tone, whereas this is pretty yes. consistent tone-wise, I It feel is, like. actually, yeah. yeah. I do think that, like, No Country for Old Men is kind of the, mm. the maybe, equivalent yeah. in yeah. terms of it's just kind of serious throughout. There are funny, you know, as with any, just in real life, sometimes funny things happen in the mm-hmm. middle of very serious shit, and I think they're good at that, you yeah. know? Uh, but yeah, very consistent tonally, which yeah. if again for a debut, very hard. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. Well we're gonna repeat this also a lot. Just like, <laughs> can you imagine this being your first movie when you have no experience going into it? Yeah, is bonkers. Yeah. Did they? Am I remembering this right? That they would like help out? Um, oh, you're you're nodding. No, I think that the, the go ahead. The guy who. I was hoping you were going to save me on this one. Who directed Evil Dead? Oh, Sam, Sam Raimi. Raimi. Yes, yes. Their you best friend. <laughs> no, no. Turnabout is fair play. <laughs> I, will, I will keep it in. Yeah, Sam Raimi <laughs> told them, you know, cut together like a little preview and use that to gather funds. Oh. Oh, you don't know about this? No, please yeah, okay, tell let's, me. Let's talk about this now. This is con- like it's it's an American independent movie. That's just- Sure. Yep. It wasn't attached to anything. They made it on their own. Okay. And the way that they gathered the funds was uh, they went door to door with a trailer that they shot to be like, look, we'll make this a full movie. Give us money. <laughs> Whose doors? Everyone's. <laughs> Just like start like, they I don't know. They found through this process. Like they in found, LA at least? Or? I think I, maybe not even. <laughs> I don't know where it would have been, but uh, so they did find a producer who was like, yeah, I'll put $750,000 in. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, so bonkers. Love to see that trailer. Door to door and through his connections, they gathered another $750,000 and that's the total budget. Okay. So the trailer is, uh, oh, it's only like 20 seconds or 30 seconds or something like that, but it's uh, a really stylistic, uh, like moving camera, Raimi style, coming up behind a stopped car on the highway. Sure. And then it goes over the car, and then you see a guy who's bleeding out on the ground, crawling away, and another guy standing over him with a shovel. With the shovel, about right. To, about to whomp him. And then it cuts to bullet holes being fired through a wall, so the, one of the final set piece things, sure. the light coming through, and like, that's it. That's the whole trailer. And they got $750,000 off of that. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. All right. And uh, in that, I don't know, there's only the two people appearing. In the Dan Hedaya spot, so in the bleeding out spot, is uh, that's uh, Bruce Campbell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we love him for it. Yes, He's just used to being soaked in blood or like rain or mud. Pushed around. Yeah. Get on the floor, like Bruce shit. Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. But he's not in this movie. No, I mean, yeah, I wish he was. <laughs> so I'll tell you, uh, speaking of debuts, Frances McDormand, her first time yes. on camera in any way whatsoever. Such a BB. Yeah. This is her first experience doing film or TV, anything. Oh my which God. Which nuts. But would it surprise you to know that uh, she was the backup? They had already cast somebody and they were like going to go to shooting. And it would surprise me. Who did we get? We got Holly Hunter. Oh. It was going to be Holly Hunter. Yeah. That'd be also great. But she got a Broadway part that she didn't want to pass up. So oh, okay. Yeah. She's uh, in a she's in a voicemail or something, yes, right? She is, she yeah. is uh, in the movie. <laughs> Maurice's um, voicemail, right? Yeah, late, yeah, yeah. Late on in the movie, yeah. That's um, so cute. But Holly Hunter's roommate was friends with Frances McDormand's roommate, and so she was like, "Hey, you should go audition." For I this know thing. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. 23-year-old Frances McDormand. That's crazy. Yeah. She's so good in this. So good. Uh, you know, speaking of the, like, the noir part of the neo-noir here, mm. it, she, I don't know if she's playing it this way on purpose, but it, it does have this element of, like, is she the femme fatale? Mm. Are these things happening? Is she, you know, weaving this web that all the other people are falling into? Obviously, that falls away by the end of the movie, but it's, it's a good performance. Yes. Not sure how much she knows or doesn't know or how innocent she really is. <laughs> well, yeah, I like, so I really like two things there in terms of her actual performance. So she was like, I think she was at theater school or she was just in acting school in general, okay. but she had never been on camera before. Mm. So this... Her decision was, I'm going to make everything as small as possible because I'm used to theater, which is big. Right. So I will, like, be so still throughout this movie and got compliments on it. I mean, it's it's very interesting because it makes you, to your point there, I think it makes you fill in, like, ooh, what is she thinking now? Yeah. And you're like, oh, what's she scheming or whatever. It's definitely, it's easier to be, for, for stillness to be seen as a choice, I think, than yeah. it is, like... Or not, a, but a good choice mm -hmm. <laughs> than it is for Wild Flailing. She said that she had a, a friend of hers was like, yeah, I saw this Blood Simple movie and like, you were great how you like, your reaction was like, just like stone face, but your mouth is always open. Like you were about to say something. She's like, oh, I didn't realize my mouth was open. And it's just <laughs> watching it through this time. It's like, wow. Yeah. She has just got like what I would describe uh, to my family as mouth breather tendency, which is the, that's big maritime uh, thing we talk about for is some it? reason. Oh, People yeah. are so rude. No. <laughs> well, we're talking about each other. We're all mouth breathers. Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, it's a self-descriptive. Yeah, all right, that's sure. fair. Uh, one thing that I think is fantastic, though, Frances McDormand is so cool. Um, she was, like, reading through her script and freaking out because she's like, oh, my God, this part is so huge mm -hmm. and it's crazy and I've never done anything like this. But she kept reading through. She's like, oh, there's so many, like, Abby gets out of bed and Abby leans on her lover and all that. And so she called Joel and she was like, I will not do any nude scenes. I don't know if this is a thing that you're thinking of. Oh, okay. And uh, Joel was like, no, we, no. Like, if you're even slightly uncomfortable with it, we will not do it. It was kind of up in the air. Okay. Uh, but he finished by saying, don't worry about it. We're not selling this movie on sex. We're selling it on violence. <laughs> Great. Yep. He's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, put it in the right slot. He, he knows knew. what he's going for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. And I love something you said to me right after we watched this as you, or you like reviewed it this way is calling it a horror noir, which I think is. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. So it's so, you know, we've seen it more than once and it <laughs> it is so tense all the way through in the same, I'm a coward and it's the same experience as watching a horror movie We're for me. cowards here. Cowards yes. at the table. Yeah. Yep. And it, just the and it's got the same i mean if you you know come up with sam raimi <laughs> i guess this is you know the tracking shots walking where you know somebody is walking on the outside of the room or the outside mm. of the house or these pov shots where it's someone circling the house so and many like, POV shots, yeah yeah and you look over like the focus shifts slightly and you realize there's someone else in the room <laughs> like that that type of thing well i i loved hearing that because i like the first thing i read was the coens being like oh slasher movies are so popular right now we're gonna like style this in some ways like one but what if the slasher was a moron <laughs> and he had a big cowboy hat <laughs> i love that actually i would watch that yeah i would watch that <laughs> yeah that's great but we to round out our cast, we got Dan Hedaya, who's always great. I feel like he's yeah. never like a featured guy in things really, but he's that always so awesome. solid. Yeah. yeah, he's got real Wolfman body energy. There's so <laughs> many pictures of him with his shirt off, and you're like, that's confusing. He's a real Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Robin Williams, Lon Chaney Jr. These are all the same. <laughs> they just anamorph one in the into the other. <laughs> this is the anamorphs episode. <laughs> Oh, it's not the Animorphs episode. It's a Animorphs episode. What mm, in a series? Um, <laughs> we've also got Sam Art Williams, who I don't know from anything else, but he's the uh, the bartender. Mm. Um, he's fun. Nope. I like him. Yep. And of course, I wanted to get to M. Emmett Walsh. Yay, Emmett Woo! Walsh. Who, even by that time, was like a super famous character actor. Oh, So okay. like getting him in here was a fucking coup for them. Okay. Yeah. It so was, he's meant to be the like the big star of the show kind of thing. Yeah, like he literally had a at the time a reputation for like if your script is very bad, give the worst part to M.M. Walsh because he will <laughs> absolutely sell it. Nice. <laughs> he was like the character actor fixer kind of <laughs> coming in. 
Yeah, but the Coens, like, wrote the part explicitly for him and, like, pursued him for it. And it had, like, such fortuitous timing. You want to hear how silly this is? Yes. Walsh was, like, working so, 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 so much at the time. So, like, he did this for peanuts, like, next to nothing. Oh, okay. He's just, uh, like, yeah, what the hell? I've got time. Um, His agents, before Blood Simple came up, his agents had passed on a bunch of offers and a bunch of scripts without him knowing. He found out and he was furious because they were all things that he wanted to do yeah, or like okay. some things that he wanted to do sure and he was like literally if you ever receive a script do not pass on it hey put it in front of me and i will pass on it and right. then you tell them like this is how it's supposed to work yeah. and uh the next script that showed up i in his account it was like the next day yeah. was blood simple <laughs> and he was like hey sure what the hell <laughs> i don't know who these guys it's are underwhelming but whatever. all right <laughs> but he was ca- he was trying to be uh what he wanted to do with this role was to be a Sydney Greenstreet type, who is the you, we would know him from Casablanca, where he plays Mr. Ferrari. He's the like the big oh. large gentleman, and uh, in the Maltese he's coming to get dinner. Is he in? I haven't seen that. I don't know. Uh, he's in Maltese Falcon okay. also as the the big bad. Oh, that okay. guy! Yeah, 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 yeah. He's great. Okay. Casper Gutman in that. <laughs> Another wonderful name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he wanted to do like that kind of like the bigger guy who's kind of like. Uh, I don't even know. He was trying to describe it in these interviews. I'm like, I couldn't describe it either, but it's this kind of like so confidently at ease, but kind of menacing. Yeah. Well, I mean, this might be too far afield, but the the noir thing uh, that you've described in the past of like characters that have to be seen to be comfortable in like the underground or like mm, the, yeah. you know, in seedy places um, he's he's that right. He's so he doesn't give a shit what you think about him. Yeah, because he's just he knows he has a, a job that is like morally bad at best. You know. Yeah, and somehow that makes it so that he feels like he's condescending to you all the time. Like in in a, in a I'm above this. I don't need to worry about it. Kind of. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Where you're kind of on the defensive with him for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such power that he has. <laughs> he's great. He's he, honestly great. It's so funny. He like. Doing this movie, he just had all these stories about, like, yeah, I didn't know what the hell they were doing, and I, I don't know to this day what they were trying to do. I watched the movie, it doesn't work for me, no idea what's happening. Wow, yeah. amazing, okay. Um, there was some, uh, in one of the final scenes, uh, he's lost his hat, and he, like, bends over to pick it up while he's, like, creeping up on, right. on Abby, and he was, like, furious about having to do that. He's like, it doesn't make any sense, and the Coens were like, just humorous, please. It's for a reason, just humorous. And his response was, I am humoring you every day I show up to set. <laughs> oh, so this wasn't... Do we think maybe he took this job just to spite his agent? Of like, I will take the next thing you show me. Could be. Like, it sounds like he just likes fucking around with people. It's not that he was, okay. like, upset about being there. He's just like, oh, this is a funny line. I'll say this. <laughs> and it is. Yes, and it is. He was right. All right. <laughs> he was good and right to say it. <laughs> He's, I mean, it's, it's a weird, it's a very menacing role and it shouldn't be almost, you know? Yeah, like he feels like a cartoon until it's yes. suddenly very scary to be near him. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of imperceptible where that change happens because he, he goes from like, okay, yeah, he's the private detective and like, it's just a job. And mm. then he gets the bad idea to double cross the guy who's paying him in the hopes of ripping him off. Which I wanted to ask you about this. What do you, what's your thoughts on what happens there? Cause I was trying to think through it and I'm just like, but why? Quite honestly, I think he just spots the safe in the corner and is like, that's uh, where, okay. you know, I'm being paid this amount, but he's got a lot more than that in the safe. Okay. And I, it, what I wanted to ask you about, Ooh. and question within a question, is why he doesn't kill them. Do you think he kills oh. people regularly, and or or he doesn't, and he didn't want to start? Like, well, if he doesn't, and he didn't want to start. He still shot and killed Marty, so that I feel like why? I I feel like he doesn't like Marty. Like so much oh. of Marty's stuff is like. Marty is condescending toward him. That's true, yeah. And he, he can feel that. Like, there's uh, one or two scenes of them talking, and the the main one that I'm thinking of is they're in his car. Yeah. Um, and he's just, like, cracking jokes and stuff like that, and Marty's just, like, got no fucking time for this shit. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, you're looking down my nose, your nose at me? Like, I will shoot you in the belly and take your money. Marty's very unlikable, so yes. that is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. That's, that's what Just I think. Just that easy. Yeah. I think it's, oh, I'm going to get money either way. 
So I'm going to kill one guy I hate instead of two people I don't know. Right. And it could be traced back to him. And Yeah, and this yeah. is a tidier way to do it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just funny. Because it's... It is Abby's gun that he took, yeah, because he's trying to frame yes. her. And this way he gets to get away through Murderville, Scott Free. <laughs> Out the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's honestly, yeah, makes sense. I nice. think he is like, great, I'll take this money that he's paying me, and I will rob the safe. So he makes that, you know, poor decision, impulse decision yes. almost, you know. Shoot right in the belly. Yep. yep. And, uh, but ev- even at that point, it is just kind of like... He's a shitty person, but he's not this <laughs> horror villain that he turns into. Yeah. And it's a it's a weird, like, almost kind of the next time you see him, he has become this, like, unstoppable killing... He's not an unstoppable killing machine because he's not great at it. No, yeah. But he's so fucking terrifying he to just, watch. He takes up so much space, and I feel like... Like, Francis McDormand is tiny. Yeah. And John Getz isn't small, but somehow he feels small... He feels spindly next yeah. to this guy. Yeah. Maybe it's just that we've watched him be so incompetent for such a I mean. stretch. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, because when do when do we see him after that? We don't see him for quite a he while. He goes back to the bar, right? And right. sees the body gone and is, is like, someone is fucking with me. Yeah, he sees Abby through the, the, the bathroom door stalking around right 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 yeah and that's how yeah that's how he re-engages because he forgot his lighter under the fish yes yes there you go Uh, (laughs) so i think it is that like once it gets personal for him mm -hmm. once someone fucks with him back or so he thinks Mm -hmm. then he turns into this just like vicious person like very he's he's gleeful about it in in a way that is very scary to watch i think there's something about he up until that point he's so chatty yeah. And like giggly and and yeah, big cartoon. Real cackly, yeah. And I feel like he doesn't say hardly anything until the end. Kinda. And yeah. I think that that is one of the things that enhances that intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. It's real weird, but mm. he's just like, you know, a, a little like crazy-eyed about it. <laughs> anyway. Nice. Nice. So, yeah. Just we uh, just a a weird like a very funny and effective mm. like turn your your you know private detective who's usually the the good protagonist yeah. of these yeah <laughs> these things and turn him into a Sam Raimi horror villain well know? that is why i love this as like a great example of a neo noir because so often as i mentioned before i've seen so no definition of neo noir other than it's kind of like a noir <laughs> i think it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> except it came out much later than noirs like that's about it but this feels like a legit ass oh we're taking all the tropes and messing with them like yeah kind of the adultery in here usually adultery is this big lustful thing and it feels like it's an actual like enjoyable connection of these two they enjoy each other's like it it feels like there's more there yeah than than not the you mentioned the femme fatale stuff like if you're coming into this as like oh it's a noir movie francis mcdormand's character abby is going to be out for herself and web of lies. Sure, like, there's going to be a double cross or something. Like, no, she's like the most, maybe not the most naive person in this. That's probably right. Probably but, still right. <laughs> <laughs> but she is so uh, just following what she wants to do with her life. Like, she, Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. like she's getting to leave her shitty husband and start, you know, a new life with her boyfriend like you know yeah. it's not a great start to the relationship <laughs> but it is just like something that happens yeah and it's just such a funny like that john gets ray thinks she might be double crossing yeah. him at some point because yeah that is you know what we've been taught through these stories to kind of assume mm-hmm. right it's it's just a funny little bit in there where he almost re-engages with that trope yeah it's a i feel like it's this thing where he's away from her for long enough that he kind of forgets he becomes blood simple and forgets that like oh we love each other and are gonna like yeah. see where this goes <laughs> and all that and it just has turned to like i killed for her and buried a body and like, sh- he thinks she killed her husband so it's just like am i next is this you know something have i wandered into something and how good is that like the scene, um, I can't remember his exact line, but where he, he's like building up to it and he's just like, I want you to know I buried the body. And yeah. <laughs> the newspaper wangs against the window. Like it's such a 
such a great shoe drop of like you can see in her face being like what the what fuck the is happening? shit is going on <laughs> yeah she does a great job of trying to get to grips with it without doing the thing of like Ray, I don't understand what you mean. Start again from the beginning. Like the thing of inviting him to do exposition at us. Yeah, there's no flashback that's about to happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, you got the private eye in there who's the antagonist of the protagonist for once. The voiceover is by the antagonist. There's all these things that are like, aha, you know all these elements. Well, how about the Coen's taking (laughs) Something else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. But the, so I, yeah, I mentioned I want to talk about the point of view stuff because that's what I Mm, think is so cool about this movie. Like, this is the thing that uh, separates it from the rest, in my mind. Yeah, man. <laughs> the point-of-view shots, there's so many things that are, like, happening just over somebody's shoulder, or you're looking at their face, and as they're, mm, like, sure. walking, it's a close-up of their face instead of seeing what they're seeing, and then yeah. they'll look and cut away to it. So you're really, like, forced to be in all of these individuals' heads, kind of, to see what they're... Seeing. Yeah, it's very much jump from person to person. Yeah, and I know I tend to think of like, well, I, I'm never actively thinking this. but <laughs> I'm never actively thinking. <laughs> I'm simple, as we said. <laughs> um, the, the two ways that I feel like most movies work are you're seeing everything through the protagonist's eyes and nobody else's. So a mystery movie like a noir. Uh, or it's just like omniscient camera. There's no character attached to it. It's just you know, floating, we're watching events happen and whatever. Sure. But the reason that all the miscommunication-y character moments like this, this shoe drop, like Emma Mitt Walsh watching Abby through the bathroom door to see, like, oh, she's the one fucking with me. Like, all these moments land, I think, because it's this in-between thing. It's a secret third thing. Where <laughs> oh, we found it! It's like a, a protagonist spotlight that's being like, and now you're experiencing what this person is seeing at this moment rather than an omniscient camera taking in everything sure sure oh yeah okay i see what you mean yeah no i i agree it's it's a series of misunderstandings which can get a little tedious if you are omniscient so this is kind of that in between secret third thing of like you're not the hard-boiled detective figuring things out step by step and not knowing any of the other stuff you see everything happening but you do get to experience it from different perspectives and it grounds it a little more in of course then they would misunderstand this or misconstrue this like the thing i it's so, so great that Abby shoots and kills Emma Walsh and she's like, I'm not scared of you, Marty. And a voice she has never heard in her life. Before. Uh, she kills a stranger. She shoots and kills a stranger. That has to her. I think that's where she finally gets to break a little bit and and have because she's just like dead fucking cold the whole time and just in survival mode yeah. I'm like that has to be the final straw like her boyfriend his thinks, heart exploded yeah, in front of her as far as she knows he spontaneously combusted she had to crawl out of the window of her own apartment mm. and she murdered a stranger like this it's that's the final fucking straw and then you running back over like you can imagine the next couple minutes are like well he punched through the wall yeah. and I, I guess he was taller than marty i wasn't thinking about that at the time he had a glove on when he stabbed him so i couldn't see if it was marty or not right Just, yeah, yeah. It's that's so good. But I think all those things work so good. And I was very aware of it this time. Every character that you're introduced to, who is a main character, the when you're introduced to them, if not the immediate first shot of them, then the follow-up shot is a POV shot for them. Mm, so you do sure. get a like a grounding in every person to be like, oh, okay, now you can see what they look like, and like the camera heights are different for them, and all this. Oh, so I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's Clever. so. Cleverly done. I love it. This is a real, like, the Coens knew what they were doing from the Clearly, right? Yeah. That's great. That's like the start of the chapter with the new the new point of view, right? Yeah. And I wrote down specifically, I wanted to make note of it, even the dog is introduced by a POV shot. <laughs> we love a movie dog. We do. That's and great. He's not in it a lot, but he's there. No. <laughs> but there's a great moment where she she wakes up. I, POVs, yeah. And this is this is one of those horror movie things where you realize someone is in the room. 
she wakes up, she's gone to stay at Ray's for the night, and mm-hmm. she wakes up, kind of goes to rifle through her purse and whatever, and kind of notices something is missing, and then she kind of, again, that focus just shifts, and she looks over, and her dog, whom she did not bring to the house, is there. Yeah. And she just says the word, help, just like as, as uh, it's technically, it came out, but as quiet as possible, and then Marty's there, and he's he's got her. Yeah. And it's ju- it's such a great, like... You're not supposed to be, like, trying to recontextualize why the dog is there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you can see yeah. her think through it, like, one, two, three, Martin. help. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's such a good bit. She has to do this the whole movie of, like, think back. What could, what could have produced this moment? Well, that's, yeah, the, all this POV stuff. I, there's, like, a few specific spots that stick out in my mind really hard. Obviously, that ending. Obviously, that dog part. Sure. But another, another Francis McDormand one. And this is one of the reasons I like this POV thing is that for the first act... I don't think it's funny. By the end of this movie, you're like, "Oh, she is the protagonist. Sure. She is the, the main character." Like her and Ray, and we happen to lose Ray, but like <laughs> the that she's introduced late enough that you don't think that she's the main character. So that in itself is a bit of a reveal um, to me, at least. It feels like she's yeah. I mean, it it seems like she could be incidental to the movie yeah. for a good part of the movie. Like that first act to me plays out like, oh, this is Ray and Marty fighting. That's the story. And yeah. Like, no, it's not. Uh, it's everybody fighting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but when uh, Ray says to her, you know, I buried the body, and she's leaving him in a like you can see on her face like her heartbeat pounding in her ears very much and she looks over at his car and all the blood is in yeah. the back seat of just like oh okay keep going run 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 holy run, run. shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> another piece of information <laughs> yeah i love it and uh the thing that so much of this movie is like grounded uh, literally on the ground with our <laughs> characters yes and there's only one shot that i can think of i know there's more than one there's only one shot i can think of that it's an aerial shot and mm. it is after Ray buries Marty. Finally. And we get the above shot of him having driven through a, like a farm patch. Yeah. And like clear tire tracks yeah. all the way to where he buried the body. And it's so funny. <laughs> He's just peeling out over a field of turnips. Just <laughs> just this weird moment of clarity. We're like, oh, we're not in anybody's point of view. We are mm. just able to like sit above here and go, that's very funny. <laughs> I feel like it could have ended there, right? It could have been, yeah. that could have been the end of it. Yeah. But, and then we get the follow-up of, of um, Abby's dream that Marty's there. And there's a yeah. bit of like, oh, he was really fighting to stay alive. I I think he's probably down there. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's in enough of a horror movie, at least for me at that point, that I'm yeah. like, I would not be shocked if the next person we see at the door is Marty again. <laughs> Yeah, few know about the post credit scene of Marty's hand shooting out of the firm. <laughs> the sequel to Carrie is called Marty. I don't know if anybody knows this. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought all, all of it really is this, like, you know, it's it's either at the eye line of a character or yeah. on the ground. Well, I guess a lot of the characters yeah. are on the ground, but yeah, that aerial <laughs> shot is very funny. I think it's the poster, right? Or it's one of the posters. One of I the don't posters. remember. It's been a while since I've looked at them. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of looking at things, how about the lighting in that bar? <laughs> I don't know, Nick. What about the lighting in that bar? It's pretty putting, good, huh? Putting the neon in neon noir. <laughs> <laughs> neon hour. It is a very funny, like, it's a basically a country and western bar. <laughs> yeah, it feels it? like a, yeah, rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> rodeo bar. They're doing square dancing before 7 p.m. kind yep. of thing. <laughs> yeah, I like it. While I'm it's being... seedy. I'm, I'm a... Already we've talked about I'm a simple person on this uh, podcast today. I'm ready and willing to admit that I thought for the longest time that neo-noir was a neon-noir. And oh. it was literally <laughs> like, oh, you can tell it's a neon-noir when it's got neon, neon in it. <laughs> because I'm a stupid, stupid man. A dumbass. <laughs> Unless you see it written down, I suppose. You know, yeah, yeah. that's fair. People uh, do love it, so it comes up a lot. Yeah, I've just got some little fun facts here just to oh, sure. our discussion. Just to give an idea of how small a production this was. Sure. Everybody's wearing their own clothes um, with oh. like a couple exceptions. Um, and like 
the makeup person was like, hey, I got this cool jumpsuit. How about you wear it? Like that that was the level that we're looking at here. Sure. The uh, the opening monologue was recorded in one take months afterward when the Coens oh, like right. met up with Walsh and were like, yeah. okay, can you just record this? And he just like read it off the page one time. They're like, great, that's it, bye. In the can. <laughs> Consummate professional. Uh, but Walsh was paid uh, just a per diem, I think, was pretty much all he got paid. Oh. Which was like a hundred bucks a day. So it's not like nothing. But sure. You like a hundred dollars, eighties money. Yeah, got it. Yeah, okay. That's a lot of money back now. <laughs> um, but he, they kept trying. He, uh, the Coens tried to give him a check, and he was like, "I don't know who you guys are. This check's gonna bounce. Just give me cash." <laughs> so he took all of his pay in cash, and apparently, I wasn't watching for it, but apparently, you can see the bulges of cash in his pockets in the movie, like in the <laughs> shooting. <laughs> Which is just like, it just adds to this character's oh, a weirdo. Oh, 100%. But. He's just a lumpy guy, and he d- demands to get paid in cash, so yep. fair. In keeping. Yeah, he must have just come from a job. He's yeah. just pockets <laughs> are full. And the last thing that I was surprised to learn, this movie was, did you know that this was remade in 2009? Ooh, was it? It was remade by Zhang Yimou as A Woman, A Gun, and A Noodle Shop. I... <laughs> Okay, I've heard of that title because I it's very funny and I remember that. Yeah, it's huh. a like period it's a Chinese comedy. Good. <laughs> uh, mostly negative reviews. The Coens love it though. So oh, yeah. okay. But I should say they hate Blood Simple. <laughs> Do they? They think it's like actively a bad movie, which is incorrect. That's just in my opinion. Though. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I God, it must be tragic to look back on your first piece that you ever made and be like, oh, I was so proud of it. <laughs> like you're <laughs> confronted with your own standards for that time in your life. Yeah. That's fair. Um, and I forgot to mention early on, this is their collaborative beginnings with uh, cinematographer Barry Sonnenfeld, who shot the right. little cute trailer for them. Also, oh, nice. I bet. Yeah. Who was like, I think in film school when... He shot that for them. Okay. And uh, composer Carter Burwell. Yes, that's right. Who is off the X-Files, yes? Oh, I don't know, actually. I think so. Interesting. Wouldn't have pegged that. Or am I just thinking of Chris Carter? Is Carter Burwell just the guy who does Coen Brothers movies and I just see the He is the guy that does all the Coen Great. Forget what I said about the X-Files. You can cut that one out, too. (laughs) This is going to be a 13-minute episode (laughs) by the time I'm done. No. Oh, Uh, that's great. Yeah, uh, that's all I got for Blood Simple. If you have any other highlights you'd like to lay out before we go on to our takeaways. I just think I've, I've fully come around on this as we've chatted about it. I It is fully a neo-noir to me because it does... Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm giving you this one. It does take all of the elements, like you've got the infidelity, you've got the, you know revenge part of it you've got the femme fatale question mark like it's not clear what her role in this how much she's instigating you got the private Um, eye you got a crime story going on yeah you got the like a faked death like all of these very hard-boiled detective (laughs) novel elements but this movie is just what if those people were real instead of these hilariously over-the-top characters from you know like these gravelly voiced you know (laughs) And, I mean, it might just be because Frances McDormand is excellent in this, but it it kind of turns around the, you know, lone female character part of a noir in, in a way where, like, you're, like you said, the movie is fully about her by the end. Yeah. And it's it's got this real, like, normally, you know, maybe the, the dame would just become dead weight by, by the, you know, either she dies or she becomes useless and, like, uh, becomes blood simple herself. Or she, yeah, and she, like, runs into the final shot to hug the, the protagonist. Like, oh, yeah, you're still here. Exactly. And, like, maybe it's tragic. Like, maybe, you know, one of the characters died along the way. But everybody dies in this one yeah. and it's still more grounded than maybe almost because of that more grounded than so it's it's just a, a real cool look at what those people in those novels might actually have done yeah in those situations and no, no one has this power of like super knowing omniscience like detective novel people tend to there's yeah. no like outwitting people by think people Nobody, are just people they're just you know meat and electricity That's every it. deduction made in this movie is wrong is the wrong one yeah, <laughs> yeah. which like on uh, balance yes that are, those are the odds you're working with so it's just a real and yet it manages to come out with this like like very like frenetic violent 
but so moody mm, like yeah. take on it and those are still all the check boxes of a of a noir just like the violence and the murder and the mood and mm. like does it a hundred percent completely the other way around but like <laughs> still manages to check all of those boxes yeah. which i think is it does it inverted so instead of being like a check it's like hedge <laughs> Get me a pencil. I'm <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So yeah, that's my that's my final thoughts. They accidentally made the perfect noir, or accidentally yeah. on purpose made it. Like to me, it is. It, it. There are so many movies that you can point at and be like, yeah, it's a neo noir, sure. But like, the long goodbye we did a couple weeks back. It is very obviously a neo noir, but in the it's way directly taking out of that sort yeah. of material. But in a way, it to me it feels less noiry than this movie. Like for yeah. for a lot of reasons. So like the, yeah. in my mind, Blood Simple is if I had to show a single example of what a neo noir is, it would be that this movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, feel like I mean, it's the most perfect representation of that of either subverting or just playing with tropes. Yeah, Which. we're past the phase of like, look how silly things were in the 40s. And more yeah. like the things that were happening in those novels would have gotten a lot of people killed. Like it almost is more like stare straight at yeah. it than neo-noirs tend to be. Let's watch. Yeah. <laughs> mm, popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I like it. Yeah. Well, for my final thoughts, I'm going to repeat the amazing debut because I mean... Yes. It's not even that it's like so well written or so well acted, but it's this, it's got, yeah, it's not even it's that. not that it's good. No, but... it, it is good, but it it's the tone thing and it's the mood. I feel like the ability to set such a fantastic mood the whole way through yes. is impossible. <laughs> I mean, considering the number of movies we've seen where that's not the case, yeah, yeah. probably. Uh, but... Other than that, the and the noir aspects, the most interesting thing in this to me is the like, I called it like the the spotlight thing where we're jumping between people's POV. Yeah. That is, it's I was like racking my brain all week to think of other movies that are like that, mm. and there are other ones. A lot of them are Coen Brothers movies, um, <laughs> but it's not done nearly as effectively as it is here. Like this is top tier of that for me it's like a feature of watching it you remember that about it yeah like it the result of the movie i feel like thinking about it afterward the result is you're like oh that was an ensemble movie but it's yeah. not <laughs> you don't think so it, i don't think so because dan hedaya is like out of the movie more like <laughs> we're not even halfway like he makes yeah. it a third of the way at most ray is seemingly the main character for a big chunk but then he's just yeah, gone he's so... for a while. Yeah. And Walsh is just gone for a while. So I, I, well, I guess it is ensemble then. I've talked myself back into it. But it's more, <laughs> it's not a true ensemble thing to me. No, I mean, yeah. they're not interacting as an ensemble. Yeah. It's one-on-one -on -one confrontations the whole way through, which should be exhausting and hard to watch, but it's not at all. I, and it's something I personally would not be able to do. One one-on-one -on -one confrontation and like, that's it for me for the week. <laughs> Like, this is it for me. This is my one-on-one -on -one confrontation. Oh, are we confronting right now? <laughs> this is as close as I get. All right, well, throw down. <laughs> yeah. But the the upshot of all of that, I feel like the thing that I really like about this, obviously playing with a lot of noir uh, tropes and all that, but you don't really know who, according to regular screenwriting rules, you don't know who the pro and antagonists are, really, right. until you're way into this thing. And I, yeah. that is such a neat little slate of hand to me yeah it's good yeah. and it feels very uh effortless yeah it's just kind of of course it goes that way because that's how this movie goes where it's so assured yes yeah. very confident it yeah. doesn't seem like there was any i i would have been shocked to find out that there was like another ending they shot and didn't mm. like or you know something like that yeah it seems like it was always meant to be this way from, like, that little trailer that they shot, they already had the, like, crawling next to the road scene all figured out well before. And they had, like, they, they're big storyboarders, so they mm. had all of every shot, like, planned out before they're coming in. So, yeah, they they knew what they was about yeah. through all that. It's yeah. so funny, too, because that is, is a very chilling image in as it exists in the movie of yeah. him, like... You know, this guy crawling away. It's at night. He's being lit up from behind by the car's headlights. And the guy who's walking towards him dragging the shovel. And it's like scraping on the ground. Very menacing shot. But the guy holding the, sh the shovel is in the worst panic mode of yeah. his life. He's, he's never been less confident about anything. Full crybaby meltdown. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> Full on meltdown. Um, but if you look at the storyboards with 
a lot of the movie, it is just one-to-one. Like, they are so oh, wow. exact and precise. It's mm-hmm. spooky. Almost, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what they were about. But that's my really concise final thoughts. Really, really <laughs> You did focused. it. Yep. Yeah. Just real condensed, <laughs> just straight ahead. Yeah. So we're going to take whatever my thoughts were and your very concise thoughts, and we're going to double bill this now. So I <laughs> hope and wish for you to take us away with your double bill. Wish granted. Here we go. <gasps> so I'm going with a movie that is arguably so this is a fun double bill for me because arguably one could be the arty or the trashy (laughs) one and the other same i'm choosing to think of it as blood simple is the arty one because it tends to be thought of that way it's a coen brothers movie it's an independent film yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. exactly and it's about a like series of misunderstandings and like no big you know moments of crime or you know whatever yeah it's just about people trying to be smart you couldn't put any of this in a montage because no exactly they yeah. fuck up by the third frame or whatever <laughs> yes precisely um it's just a series of people fumbling like truly and it's about that literally the title you know it is when you are confronted with blood or more broadly the idea of your own mortality what are you mm. going to do about it and how you gonna cry? baby gonna cry this is the actually the title of my double no um actually it might be i'll pick that we'll see how it shakes out yeah how how well are you gonna handle that mm. you know and yeah. that's a very kind of weighty thing to watch happen in in blood simple and in my movie it's more about the kills but it's also it's the same mood creation and like very assured early work kind of thing so i'm going to pair it with another famous final girl in cinema (laughs) i'm gonna pair it with uh alien from 1979 francis mcdormand and sigourney weaver not dissimilar honestly yeah yeah, she uh francis mcdormand has like sigourney weaver energy in blood simple a little bit maybe that's just what everybody looked like in the 80s i don't know those cheekbones yeah (laughs) and the hair yeah and yeah so you know alien is the just the growing horror that something is wrong and people are fucking it up every step of the way because they kind of think they're either the smartest one in the room and they're gonna outmaneuver you know the threat or they're just trying their best Mm -hmm. and not clocking that their best is so far below the level (laughs) of what it needs to be to get out of this you know and I just gotta say, I'm just picturing Emma Walsh firing out a little Emma Walsh out of his mouth. Oh, no. And he does that like <laughs> laugh. <laughs> oh my god. So I was listening, but I didn't briefly black out. <laughs> I don't out. think you were. Yeah, something just about static fucking... <laughs> noise in your head. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yes, absolutely. Um <laughs> There's an animal in it that's that indicates the presence of danger. Sure, yeah. There you go. Very specific. Not, not my thesis, but um, <laughs> yeah, Alien and Blood Simple are both this like panic in the face of danger you don't understand, and mm. the both you know final girls for for lack of a better term mm. get through it by just not succumbing to that panic and. He's probably dissociating, like in a way, like Frances McDormand kind of sliding down the wall and just pointing the gun. She's not shaking or anything. Like she's pointing a gun at this bathroom door, like waiting for the person to make the make the first oh, move. Oh yeah, this yeah. She's the predator in this situation. Oh, no. You know, sorry, the alien. <laughs> lower lowercase p predator in this situation where all she has to do is wait, and she'll wait it out. And and like that's. Of course that's the smart move, but mm. you're being a, an animal creature, you would want to be moving and like get yourself out of the danger and you know mm. and just not doing that and rising one level above the panic. Yeah. Um is how both of these characters get out of their situations. Sweet. Um yeah, so I'm going to pair them both and I'm going to call it Reluctant Final Girls. Because oh, nice. neither of them, I think, really delights in <laughs> having gotten out of their situation. And neither really understand what's going on. Because no, they nobody can't. learns anything. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Everybody, oh, it's so annoying. Every Everybody that could have told her anything, uh, Abby's character, yeah. Abby, the character, 
is dead. Yeah. That's infuriating. Yeah, just to go to the bathroom and be like, who the fuck's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, like in both cases, somebody knows something, mm. but I don't even know where to start with this. So <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pair I'm gonna I'm gonna make Alien the trashy thing, but you can read it the oh. other way if you wanna go just like Alien is is pure horror in that like yeah. very cold sci-fi way. And Blood Simple is more grounded, earthy, you know, thriller, mm-hmm. if you want. But yeah. could be read either way. Sweet. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Over to you. Thanks so much. I like that a lot. Yeah, that just feels very... So Ridley Scott was so early in his career, too, so it's, like, not a debut yeah. movie. But it's pretty no, nice. no. But it's pretty... And, like, Sigourney Weaver had been in, in a few... Maybe one or two movies? Like I don't she think was... a big role. Yet. No, yeah. yeah. So, so this is her breakout thing. So we can go. count it. We'll count it. What about you? Well, I... Like I said, this spotlight kind of protagonist thing, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out, like, ooh, where else does that pop up? Because any other time I can think of it, though, it's either not in the same precise way where i feel like the intent isn't as clear or it's the one movie i chose today those are the two options <laughs> great well i'm um, glad you came up with something <laughs> <laughs> and this is i'm pairing these i was very um gratified to learn that this is one of the coen brothers favorite movies also oh, so okay. you're like oh okay well you're just copying him then because <laughs> uh, i'm gonna pair this with what to me is the gold gold standard in shifting protagonists okay uh movies and it's another noir Okay. And it's uh, from 1963, High and Low from Akira Kurosawa. Oh, because very nice. this is a thing where, like, Toshiro Mifune is the star of the movie, but he is absent so long at a certain point that by, when he shows up again, it's kind of like, hey, Toshiro Mifune's in this movie. Right. Like, it's so <laughs> yeah. far no, that's divorced. True. Like, he almost seems like a whole new person because time has also passed. And right. the... Something about, like, just the structure of these movies feels really similar, too, where it's, like, that first act is so chamber drama-ish. Like, in Kurosawa's, it's very much, it all takes place in a single room. Yeah. yeah. But the, like, the domestic uh, discussions, domestic drama aspect of it feels very similar. Yeah. And you think you know how that would pan pan out. Yeah. Yeah. When you get into the second act, it becomes virtually a new movie. Yeah. In the second act of Blood Simple, we start following people around individually. The second act of High and Low, it just becomes a police procedural movie without the main character involved. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who just disappears. Or the antagonist, really. Like, yeah. it's we don't really see him. And you don't really get a feel for the motivations of the antagonist really clearly no it is all people making assumptions or inferences or just trying their best with the information they do have yeah yeah and it's like all of that stuff is what is making me think of highland low but it's also kurosawa was the other guy who would like okay i've storyboarded this and therefore it will like exactly like my storyboards sure they feel like they're coming at things the same way yes i could see yeah putting the movies together in the same way can i also say the shot there's a shot almost kind of bisecting the movie both of them Mm. where like you said the aerial shot where it's so different from anything (laughs) that's come before and then that shot the High and low is in black and white. The one they they plant like a, a, a evidence basically that the the kidnapper is meant to take home and mm-hmm. burn to like get rid of so he can't be traced. But they've put a chemical in it and it's it burns pink. Yeah. And the only fucking color shot in this whole movie is pink smoke rising from the chimney out in the center of the city as it's they so watch cool. from this hilltop. And it's a very like okay, the game has changed. The The second half of the movie is yeah. different. And nice. they're both noirs, so they ultimately both take place in very seedy kind of places. Meant to be like the underground, a little underworld. You know? From the character's perspective, the ending meeting with the antagonists feel very similar to me, where they are very confusing for the, the main character. Like, it's something yeah. that they're so disconnected from the reality that they're actually supposed to be experiencing that they just cannot connect to in any way. They just no. don't have the right information. That's so yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, it's a very unsatisfying ending, almost. You, yeah. could, you could see them walking away and be like, what the fuck? Like, I don't I don't understand how we got here. Yeah, so I don't need to proselytize too much on High and Low because it's <laughs> widely considered to be one of the best uh, procedural noir movies out there, so go and watch it if you haven't. Indeed. Um, it is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, that's... That's what I'm doing that with, and I'm going to call my double spotlight on. <laughs> Colin is the name of the movies. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. I'll allow it. Thank you. Nice. And I think that will do us for another episode on Blood Simple. Please uh, rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. Tell your friends about the exciting podcast that you're listening to by these two Canadians. Hang out by the water cooler and just loudly shout it at everyone who walks by. Even if you're Canadian, introduce it as I'm listening to a podcast by two Canadians because it is still novel here. So (laughs) We're very few and far between. That's not true. (laughs) You can find us at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, (laughs) For now. We'll see. Yeah, when this comes out. <laughs> you can definitely find us on Instagram. Yeah, at yeah, Pod. sure. <laughs> uh, and I hope that you will uh, get stupid when you see violence out there and join us next time for another pile of garbage. Thanks, y'all. It's not strictly legal. Well, pays right, I'll do it.